Hi, everyone. Welcome back to this week's episode of NIMPA Alumni. Today, we're going to be examining a aesthetic, a phenomenon, a movement that was really popular in the mid-2010s onward, known as the Art Ho. This is probably something that if you have been born witness to any sort of artsy teenager during that time period, college students, this may be who they were. So think full Robin Konkin backpack madness, art history socks, the rage around mustard yellow, Dr. Martin Oxford's, really honestly the primary color bonanza that took place during this time, and also just kind of an obsession with the idea of artsiness as indicated in the name art ho that comes out in a few ways one is like an obsession with doodling at home kind of journaling and also a serious kind of topical but ongoing obsession with the art history greats um particularly modern artists so how should we start this today i feel like this aesthetic has touched all of our lives in some way Mm -hmm. um i know alexi you had some kind of serious experiences with it when you were Mm -hmm. in high school yourself. Yeah, this is true. Yeah, I feel like I was kind of the perfect age while this was all going on. And I also went to this like artsy boarding school. So like, I was really in the thick of it. It was like the thing that came after being called a hipster that I guess was more Mm -hmm. specific, where like, you couldn't really call yourself an art hoe, but you know, you were obviously feeling the fantasy in like very specific ways. And I would always be like, pretend to be really offended if someone called me an art ho. But then obviously, like, the way that I was dressing and the way that I was expressing myself online was like, so targeted. The obsession with art history is definitely like a main factor. But it's really interesting to me that it was like, really focused on specific artists and a specific look that was informed by the MoMA collection for some reason, like the MoMA was like, the art ho institution, and like art hosts would do pilgrimages to it and like take pictures in front of Matisse and like Frida Kahlo and stuff so some of these include like Matisse especially the cutouts Andy Warhol especially the drawings and prints Picasso especially the line drawings David Hockney had a very art house sensibility Yoan Miro Ellsworth Kelly Paul Clay Yayoi Kusama was a big one mm-hmm. and then some kind of like 19th century friends such as Egon Schiele Gustav Klimt Alphonse Mucha And then also like a fetishization of the old masters that was pretty surface level. It was just kind of like Birth of Venus and like Mona Lisa tease. So Mm -hmm. this was just, yeah, a really interesting time. I think image making on the internet hadn't really been perfected. So there were just a lot of like messy attempts at this from all sides. And this is kind of when people started using the term aesthetic as an adjective and like creating images where it was like your Doc Martin in front of like a blue tiled floor or, mm-hmm. you know, arranging some wildflowers on the gridded pages of your moleskin notebook. There was an obsession with grids yeah. for some reason, hard to explain. Defo a crossover with other Tumblr. Aesthetics. Yeah. Like yeah. American Apparel. I was thinking about that as well. Cause this one, yeah. Artho overlaps with a lot of, other aesthetics of the time like rookie magazine for example and american and like the almighty stuff too i think yeah but this is definitely this was the most popular one by far in terms of what you would actually see out and about i will say the term itself is quite contentious and we'll get into this because 
during the peak of this era, there was a lot of debate about this term. And it's something that I personally memory hold for some reason. I was It was conjured from memory only a few days ago. But I do think the term art ho exists very differently in very different people's minds. I don't know if it's a generational thing or a regional thing. But I did initially when we started <laughs> researching this episode, I thought we were doing something totally different. Because in my head, art ho meant something different than this aesthetic. And I think partially because this aesthetic that we're talking about today feels quite youthful. And so the term ho felt inappropriate to apply. But I did ask quite a few people, like, can you name some iconic art hoes? And for some reason, everybody said too poor, which is not this. But she's like goth. Like these people who are yeah, goth. She's are goth like, oh, yeah, she's goth, yeah. But I think it uh, in people's heads, like art ho became a catch-all term for alternative girls on Instagram with really high follower counts. Yeah, it was like e-girls, like proto-e-girls for sure. It's proto-e-girl. Yeah, I think that's what this term became a catch-all term for and and even predated this specific aesthetic. I remember the term art hope being thrown around and used a lot in reference to just a generalized like alternative artsy girl who had like a popular Instagram uh, before this aesthetic specifically was established. But I think it is interesting that it is so contentious because it feels like a very like proto core conversation. You know, now we have names and terms for all of these aesthetics. This podcast is dedicated partially, if not mostly to unpacking this concept. And this was one of the first internet wide debates. I feel like that was trying to split hairs about what makes something this aesthetic, where it came from, who invented it what it means, what it looks like. So I think it's a really interesting conversation to have in terms of early internet debates about intellectual property, whether aesthetics are pastiche or can be invented by a single person, consumerism, uh, how creators can be recompensed for their contributions to something that becomes viral. You know, like it's... It's an interesting history that we are going to unpack here. Yeah, yeah, I think the the main conflict or I guess like schism in this field of research is is art ho just like a Pinterest style aesthetic that is made up of like all of these objects that are purchasable and you know, is it just like a combination of certain tastes and styles and something just completely visual or is it a movement started by queer people of color? Which, like, if you if you look it up, like, that is written in the annals of, like, the Days 100, but I really <laughs> am not 100% certain on, on that. Front. It's an interesting debate, because the... I guess we could give some background specifically on that, or unless you guys want to touch on some other stuff before we get into that conversation specifically. Well, I made a timeline of this okay. word yes, that perfect, I think would yeah. be helpful because, yes, so obviously, like you said, art ho was an existing term for, I would say, all of the 2010s from the very beginning, not just pegging it to the mid-2010s when mm-hmm. art ho collective came to be. And now it's kind of been returned back to a catch-all term, which I figured out by Googling art ho Reddit. And seeing that it was like kind of surfacing in different Reddits as 
a term referring to artsy girls, but not specifically this aesthetic at all. So I would say that like we could probably say 2013 is when it really started to coalesce because The Guardian covered Art Ho Collective in 2015. And I think it's probably safe to say both from our memory and also just the trajectory of how this would go that the term Art Ho and Art Ho aesthetics had been kind of floating around before it was defined by this collective. And I, I think this, this phase of 2013 to 2015 specifically was Art Hoism in its purest form when it was created for the people, kind of like by the people before it was, yeah, pegged to anything super specific. But yeah, that's kind of what we saw, like the really defining characteristics come up with like the Konkan backpack madness. I made my dad buy me one of those. <laughs> Art history socks, mom jeans, bees, sunflowers, doodle editing on photos, overalls, Polaroid cameras. One thing I wanted to say as well is just like a little sub detail, which I think we'll talk about the kind of art style and art practice of self-proclaimed art hoes during this time was that there is this kind of this um, importance on having slightly higher end art school supplies. So like Copic markers oh my God. or Prismacolor colored pencils. Mm-hmm. So those were definitely something you might find in an art hose overall pocket. <laughs> but like I said, yeah, crucially art hoism overlapped a lot with the world of Rookie Magazine with the founder of this collective who was named Mars being a contributor to Rookie Mag. And I also wanted to mention like, we're going to talk a lot about I think how this aesthetic has mutated over the years and kind of where it ended up going. But there were actually a lot of people who are still like culturally recognizable who were part of this movement and collective. One being Sage Adams, who's done like a lot of creative direction for SZA. And then the, I think she's a model, but also I think an artist, Anaja Hamilton, well, who's ice cream eater on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so that was kind of like phase one, right? Mm-hmm. And then we could talk a bit more about that. I also have a phase two, which is like from 2016 onwards. But yeah, yeah, what did you guys think about this kind of time, the early days of Art Ho, and then obviously it becoming tied to a specific group of people as well? I think it was very like post-twee mm-hmm. approaches to youthful dressing. When I say youthful, I don't mean people in their 20s. I mean, there's something very distinctly high school about this aesthetic to me. I remember girls in high school dressing like this. And as I left high school, girls in high school continuing to dress like this after I left them in my past. You know, I think it was a very youthful aesthetic, something that was like, quite androgynous. I think it would appealed a lot to um, gender nonconforming people because the elements of this outfit were very I don't know gender neutral like the overalls I always associate uh pinstripes with gender neutrality for some reason I don't really know if that's just me or something about stripes in general right stripes in general feel like they signal or they're like imbued or encoded with some sort of non-binariness but (laughs) I think also just the the primary colors of it all are that's just like the colors that are what kids wear before you start like getting into gendered stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. I thought you were gonna say it's because it's like the rainbow flag. <laughs> oh yeah, it is that too. I mean, yeah, I have more theories about this. Continue. Okay, okay, okay. Go on, Sam. 
Oh, that was, I'm pretty much wrapped up with that. I feel like the post tweet Mm -hmm. is very important because as we covered in our tweet or the gentle revolution episode, something about tweet and hipsterdom did appeal to younger people. Like I think Alexi was discussing how she really liked twee stuff when she was like 11 years old because it was like talking about like elephants and like like bicycles and birds and just cute things that you see in like Mm -hmm. a children's book. And this feels like the successor to that you know yeah it's definitely an acceleration of it but I think it became it evolved it was tweet evolved for higher definition iPhone cameras that were coming during this era because those big primary those bright primary colors and the evolution of Instagram filters as almost like less prevalent as they were during the tweet era I think that's where kind of like a lot of these primary colors and brightness came from I think it's also important to mention, like, ideology-wise, I think Twee was really about the literary canon and, like, the great writers of the 20th century or whatever. But this was definitely adjacent to, like, a big social justice turn of the internet. And, like, part of the goal of the Art Ho Collective was to be, like, art shouldn't be about, like, old white men. Like, we're, I guess they were, like, a creative platform that aimed to enhance visibility for young women non-conforming artists of color but I mean mm-hmm. I feel like I can speak to this specifically because like the people the famous people who were ad- adjacent to this which were like Willow Smith Amanda Stunberg and all of the kind of creatives that you mentioned biz like there was a really a high value place at this time on like being kind of like brown girl of a certain aesthetic and I feel like I'm allowed to say that because I was definitely like of that look because I had like really long curly hair and like it was blue at times and I had glasses Mm. that I wasn't even prescribed to wear and (laughs) would wear binoculars around my neck and shit so I it's it's just kind of uncanny to me like everyone kind of had this specific look um that was really based on having fun hair a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. What else? It's really strange to me because like the the whole goal of this collective was to like have this platform where you could like browse art and like submit art and it would all be made by people of a certain demographic. But like the Art Hill Collective Instagram right now has like 20 followers and it's... Oh yeah, they wiped it. They like, oh, yeah. wiped it completely. It's like all gone. I don't know why they like nuked the whole thing if this was like the point. I don't know if you guys remember this or if maybe I was only seeing it because I still like follow a bunch of these people. But like, uh, I think last year, maybe the year before Mars at Sensitive Black Person, like came Mm. out with kind of like a dossier against the fellow Art Hope Collective members, basically saying that like they were treated unfairly or like weren't credited properly or like didn't make money from the whole thing like there was just a weird thing about the distribution of funds and for some reason I can't find like any of these like this is the thing about like call out posts and Instagram stories is that there's like no record of it unless you screenshot it but we talked about this in the chat when that happened I remember yeah. us texting about it but that was a re- that was like two years ago yeah but I do remember this yeah and so I think this was just kind of like an awkward in-between time where like people didn't really know how to as you said Sam like make money from their intellectual property and there was no guidebook for really how to like turn a project into something else I mean they have like a lot of media attention and we were able to like research that but it seems like you kind of hit 
the bottom of it pretty quickly. Yeah. I have I have a lot to say on that specifically because I feel like yeah I feel like if a really neutral conversation we could have about it just be like it says a lot about what the internet became to look back on what people were trying to make it right like the way that people were trying to monetize their intellectual property before the primary form of making money on the internet was consumer advertising right and so I feel like it just says something more about like where we stand now and how the internet has evolved in terms of like creativity yeah like then if, it does even about around, the discourses they were kind of playing around with anyways you know like, yeah it definitely would have like had collabs and stuff if they were around now but i feel like they just got like articles back then yeah yeah like that's so obviously us. <laughs> <I know>. <laughs> <laughs> right, us kind of, oh my god we can we can learn yeah. <laughs> but yeah the founders were i mean mars was 15 when they yeah, founded yeah. it and yeah, really their the co-founder age. was called jam who I'm not as familiar with, I think, in terms yeah. of their accounts to this day. But like you mentioned, Mars had a, I guess, pretty well-known Tumblr called Sensitive Black Person. I mm-hmm. guess you can also look at it and see that because Mars was a contributor to Rookie, that it's probably pretty likely that like this was inspired by the project of Rookie, like creating a space mm-hmm. basically to center a certain demographic's voice, but obviously really focusing on people of color instead mm-hmm. of like Tavi Gevinson-esque individuals. <laughs> but then also and you can like, look at it and, and like, like okay, Ira Tom... Glass's wife or whatever. Well, yeah, but you can look at it and be like, okay, well, obviously like Rookie had a lot more institutional support, right? To like yeah. teach these 15-year-old editors how to make these things work and like yeah. be sustainable um, because they were so beloved by the NPR class essentially. Something that really struck me looking back on the discourse surrounding Art Ho Collective and the word Art Ho was how young everybody involved was in, in this situation, being 15 years old. And there's something very naive and quaint and sweet about the way that they're approaching political conversations. But I think it's their youth is very evident because there's quite a few quotes where political discourses about race and class are being interpreted via the buying power of their parents. And I think that that is, I think it speaks to the political education of Gen Z, because I think that everybody was introduced to these larger conversations about race, class, gender, via discourses about consumer culture, which very much feels like the way that Gen Z still talks about politics and still talks about social issues, which I just, I say that very neutrally. Like, I, I think it is very interesting and something to note about these conversations. And yeah, like I, it, it's, there's something very quaint whenever I look back on this, you know, because this all happened before the primary mode of monetization on the internet was was advertising, consumer advertising. And so people were still trying to figure out how to make money off of their ideas. Um, I don't know. I think it just says a lot about the way that the internet has evolved and the way creativity on the internet has evolved, you know? Yeah, I guess we kind of talked about that in the Rookie Mag episode, which we talked about how a lot of the understanding of like social issues, political issues was obviously mediated through, I guess, essentially like the, the environment of a high school like dress code, politics, that sort of thing. Yeah. So I guess we saw a lot of this at this time, kind of like these social and political issues that were then obviously expressed the lens of a child or a teenager. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, I think it all comes from 
everyone on Tumblr kind of got this education of like standpoint theory or like the personalist political mm-hmm. downstream from 1960s feminism, I guess. Also, I want to say really crucial to this whole thing is like the idea of selfie art. Like there's this BuzzFeed mm-hmm. interview with the two founders of Arto Collective. And one of them, Jam, says, Mars started drawing on their selfies. It was a simple concept, but people ate it up like hotcakes. I reached out to Mars and I tried to convince them that they'd unintentionally revolutionized selfies, allowing them to not only be your desired perception of yourself, but also a possible creative outlet to shatter gender, class, and race glass ceilings. And then, like, they talk about selfies for a while and, like, talk about how, like, editing yourself in front of Van Gogh is, like, putting yourself at the forefront of their work. And like the display of people of color in this manner that is like revolutionary. And I think this is something that just like hasn't really aged well, possibly like, yeah, because you look at the images themselves and I don't know if like images have just gotten a lot better (laughs) since then, but I don't know. What do you guys think? I mean, this is like such an art ho way of, of, of being like, even into the like artwork 666, like later territory. Yes. Yes. What became well I think this is a very similar conversation that I believe we had on the rookie mag episode is that there were consequences to platforming people that were this young and this new to ideas about you know social issues because you know I think I think this was we, we talked about this in a rookie episode where this was felt like the last hurrah of society ascribing young savantism to random people or I guess Greta Thunberg is one of the last people to do that. But she's so singular, though. Like She's very singular. Yeah, she's she's in her own kind of realm of society. Even but like fame, you know. Even fame, yeah. Time magazine kind of universe. But mm-hmm. yeah, it, it, I think there are like consequences to some of this sort of thing, right? Because I think when I was young and I was very, very young, I, I would think about class a lot. These were things that were discussed often because... The area I grew up in was not necessarily <laughs> upper class by any <laughs> means. And so class was something that I, discourses about class were something that I really participated on a lot in the internet. And as I've gotten older, obviously, without it goes without saying, my understanding of class is a lot more complex than buying power and my interpretation of consumer culture and the buying power of my parents. It has a lot more to do with the circles that I spent time in, uh, the opportunities that were afforded to me. A lot of that has less to do with, you know, monetary value in your parents' bank account and more to do with like a lot more complex interrelated things. And, you know, I'm not going to get get into all of my ideas about class, right? But I, w- I do say like the consequence of them being so useful whenever they were platformed is that maybe there are some simplistic ideas about social issues that were kind of proliferated across society and I think this is just a natural way for young people to be introduced to politics I think I think it's not necessarily like a uh, a negative or a positive Mm -hmm. I think this is just kind of like a natural way that new youthful people who exist in the digital realm are introduced to politics and it's just a cycle that repeats over and over again and it's really interesting to see how it evolved over time and to me the most interesting debate about it is like the intellectual property debate how Art Hope Collective was perhaps being compensated for their work or not compensated for their work, you know? 
I think it's really interesting to kind of like look at the timeline on that. I also think the important thing is just like representation was such a big point of discourse at this time. Manla Stenberg famously had this like video that she made about it. I don't know if I've talked about this on the podcast before, but I did like a TEDx talk when I was 15 about racial representation in the media. And like, mm-hmm. I <laughs> don't go looking for it because I literally got it wiped from the internet because it's so embarrassing because it's literally me being like, orange is the new black is amazing. <laughs> and, like, and we need more like black lesbians in like, every show. It was so cute. It was so cute. Like, it was cute. I remember, but, I remember uh, when I first watched that, I didn't know who you were. And I Googled, I was like, this girl's a TED talk. I was like, so oh, intimidated. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Like, if, if it sounds like I am, like have any negativity around this like whole movement, it's because it's had an undeniable impact on me. And I was like a a part of it in a way. And like, I just see the effect that it had on my life. And I like cringe looking back on it a little bit, but like this TED talk was really bad. And I was really like, really certain about the fact that it was like important for like everyone in movies and TV to like reflect every single type of marginalized identity that existed and then I think like the thing that got me out of this was like I think it was like 2016 or 2017 or something there was like more visibility than ever for Muslims I think in the media like Time magazine like every fashion magazine had like someone in hijab on it it was just like a big year for Muslim representation in the media but then like Muslim hate crimes were up like 500 percent that's an exaggeration but it was like a crazy I was like wait what it was like it was like a crazy increase and I was just like yeah this doesn't have anything it it just seemed like you know these are two things that like representation doesn't actually change the way people are treated in real life if anything it's like convincing a certain sect of people that like there's this agenda against them and I think this was also like nearing the 2016 election things just got like darker and a lot more real than you know like oh my god Parks and Rec has an Indian person on it I think that year was like a big wake up call for a lot of of young people that like, you know, like posting pictures of yourself in front of a Van Gogh isn't, you know, going to stop Trump from getting elected. You know what I mean? Like, I think there was just a major like awakening at some point. Um, Well, that's where, yeah, like, I think uh, this is why I look back on these like, um, these like attempts of political action via posting on the internet and like there is something very sweet and quaint about it to me like even though it's I know that it's not necessarily the most effective way to enact change but like there is something very hopeful and like I I like admire kind of like the purity of those intentions and now after everything that's happened the past few years I feel like there are very few people who even adopt an ideology of representation politics and understand the complexity, the dark and almost like gut-wrenching complexity of like all of these issues and how they actually affect your life. Um, because I feel like a lot of these things don't start reaping or rearing their ugly head until you become an adult and start realizing how maybe the way that you grew up was different, right? Yeah, I mean, going to college is, I think, a major black pill for a lot of people because like once yeah. you understand higher education in the, in the United States specifically, it's just like... Yeah. Or not go to college or, you know, like 
Like, it's just when you become an adult is really whenever, like, all of these different social issues start really rearing their ugly head and you become, you know, I think we all swallow the black pill at some point. Yeah. Which I don't know if that's even, like, a good thing. I don't know. No, like, it's not. It's not a good thing, but it's just, you know. And I wish it, I could stand by my TED Talk, but unfortunately, <laughs> no one can. But it's, just, but it's sweet. It's, like, a very sweet thing. This is why, like, I, I was reading this and seeing that the people participating in the Collective and one of them was 15 and I was like, oh my God, this is like so, like I have this like protection instinct. I'm like, don't tell them what's going to come next. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like I, yeah, there's something, I don't know if it's just the mood that I am in this morning, but when I was looking at all these photos and just like the flowery, beautiful kind of like whimsical, like ways that they took photos and you know, it does, I feel a kind of it's, like an elderly, my, optimistic. My, like it's, it's very optimistic, optimistic yeah. and I think we can all, say that there's the trump election completely changed posting for everyone so there's like pre and post trump posting in my opinion and after the election i think that there was a lot more urgency around how you express yourself online and people were much more like kind of critical of that and now we still continue to see that obviously in terms of like people talking about certain political movements and becoming aestheticized or that aspect of it and obviously there's but a even, huge aesthetic component to this which is yeah we don't really see that as much anymore yeah we yeah that's the all those discourses have really fallen off in a major way i feel like uh people are just a bit shell-shocked and don't really want to unpack it and they're also it's, it's very complex like you do actually nowadays you do have to show up to the table like fully educated and like very which is good i think it's a good thing like you cannot be kind of riffing off the top about these very serious subjects, you know, but you got to come, come ready because people aren't trying to play anymore. Yeah. <laughs> you know I mean, I people, mean? Like, people hate Instagram infographics now. I think 2020, yeah. like the Black Lives Matter movement was a watershed moment because like younger people were posting like Hello Kitty says ACAB type stuff. And then everyone was like, oh, that's not, you know what I mean? And I think people realized that like attempts to aestheticize political movements are not good you know like they shouldn't be a part of your they, aesthetic they age so quickly yeah mm -hmm. like what that's like if we had like snoopy graphics now people would post those but they would age so quickly because there's going to be a new yeah. character yeah miffy says a cab is the next one <laughs> literally and it's just like you shouldn't have to to like make these slogans like fit your kawaii aesthetic to like no. stand by them you know no, no, no. but like yeah. i get that they like go more viral but i just think people have generally let go of this idea that like visibility means something I think you know in a sense it does but there's just like so much of it I don't know like it just reminds me of the amount of kids that like start nonprofits so they can get into college and it's just like this like brings visibility to like this issue but it's just an Instagram account that like makes posts yeah. you know what I mean looking back on it yes I've I feel bittersweet, bittersweet. Well, I feel some relief, some tragedy, some sadness. And overall, yeah, like I'm, I'm just, I don't know if I'm just in my unk era. Right now, but like, <laughs> I'm just like, I'm just like so struck. I'm so struck by their youth, like their, the youthfulness no. of it. It feels, I feel very like touched by it. It's just so just, nice like, so to elderly think about someone like, doodling on their pictures. I don't know. I like that they were drawing with their fingers on their selfies. And hey, it wasn't easy. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it I was literally not easy. Yeah. I would recreate 
I literally have like Snapchat art that I've made that was like girl with a pearl earring but like drawn on Snapchat with my finger that is so That's cute cool. wow you're so talented actually because I've never <laughs> been able to figure out how to do that like I tried I really so hard I think I just have like chunky fingers you know my little child fingers at the time I think were but yeah you actually nimble. have to have like children's yeah. sized fingers to be able to do yeah, especially <laughs> on those tine iPhones back then like yeah. I actually yeah that's super talented um I um want to talk about the next phase of art hoism yes yes this is very important yeah I actually think is like pretty much pinned to what we are we just said about Trump election so like 2016 and then around to 2020 but in my opinion this is where art ho should have died but it only evolved and mm-hmm. Google searches for Art Ho actually peaked, according to Google Trends, in March 2018 after an upward growth from 2017 onwards. 2017 was actually the biggest year for the Art Ho, and I will explain why. But there's actually another growth period in 2020 with in 2021 with yes, oh my god, the pandemic as well, which I think has to do with like younger Gen Z kind of tapping into some musical artists who are associated with this, who got really viral on TikTok. But anyway, so like I said, this is when the art ho should have died. But I think because some art ho types got record deals and they took their art hoism to new audiences, they started influencing a younger generation of impressionable fans to keep the primary colors going. And I specifically blame or identify <laughs> Rex Orange County <laughs> today. Yeah. Um, so basically, like I wouldn't consider myself a fan, but I'm definitely familiar with his work and his aesthetic. And he broke through by being featured on Tyler the Creator's 2017 album Flower Boy, which is Art Ho Canon for many reasons. One being that it's about flowers. Secondly, album artwork being a painting of Tyler against a sunset slash field of sunflowers with giant bumblebees buzzing around. Also on this note, Lord's Melodrama also came out in 2017, which features a, a painting of her as the album artwork by Sam McKinnis. So we can really see how this ode to painterliness is coming through in major pop culture moments, right? With really successful musicians. More on Rex Lawrence County, though. So um, I decided to do some research into his work. And you guys have definitely heard his song, Loving is Easy. so like unfortunately good though yeah it's a good song but (laughs) the music video for it is literally a claymation and the claymation of him and Benny Sings who's the other person in the song are in an art ho clay room with a clay cactus and a bunch of like capital M capital A modern art compositions (laughs) throughout the room like even on the rocks is like a, a shock to my heart I know and the cactus and the art start dancing and he's wearing claymation yellow vans, which uh, yellow vans are definitely a key fashion item for the art ho. Wow. Um, secondly, he also has a song called Sunflower, which is a hit. And I just want to take you guys through one more artist who I think really is definitely not as commercially successful <laughs> as Rex Orange County, but we need to talk about Claude. Claude <laughs> is like the craziest distillation of art hoism. Claude is a non-binary bedroom pop artist from Chicago, which Chicago is such like an art ho town in my head. But yeah, because they have the like, Art Institute, which is like also one of the great be. art ho institutions. Yeah, yeah, Chicago is the art ho capital of the world. My sister it was is. 
kind of an art hoe and she majored in art history in Chicago. And um, as someone who visited her when she was at university a lot, uh, yeah, I definitely saw this in its full effect. It was my second choice, yeah. Really? Wow. Yeah, it... um. There's a couple things that go in there. I think one is like it's not a hyper competitive urban center. So there's not like this pressure to evolve your alternative aesthetic, I think, as quickly. And also some sort of dedication to like wholesomeness that I've noticed is really popular. There are many factors, but yeah. So Claude was the first signing to Phoebe Bridger's record label. Claude's aesthetic is like a funky colored dyed mop top, round glasses. Once again, the baggy striped shirt. The main song Claude is known for is called Wish You Were Gay. And I want to bring up Claude as a transitional figure in my head because I see Claude as someone who is kind of towards the end of, well, certainly the end of the golden era of the art ho, but has one of the distinctive features is like the colorful hair, which was not in a, I guess maybe Alexi, maybe it actually was. So you're saying you had blue hair, Mm -hmm. right? Okay, so I take that back, but we can see kind of the transition towards e-girl fashion with Claude, like putting chains on your mom jeans, that sort of thing. Like a few more aspects that you can identify as as a new style, basically. But yeah, Yeah. this is where I basically saw like the art hoe instead of going away, just becoming really codified through music and cult musicians, which I found to be really interesting in terms of how prolonged this, this aesthetic's been. Well, I have something that I want to kind of throw out there where I think, Alexi, you mentioned when we were discussing the ins and outs of art hoes in the chat, how there was a time where Tumblr girls diverged into kind of just general alt or small bean. And I feel like that divergence is just like a very classical path for creative people. Like I think for millennials, they probably are familiar with like the egg punk versus chain punk discourse, which I think is a more millennial discourse. And it translates into a Gen Z discourse where it's like alternative versus small being. It just feels like people who grew up like kind of artsy. It's very much like which way Western man type thing, um, which is kind of a dumb thought. Like I don't have anything else to say beyond that. I just wanted to note that. Also, okay, this is something I also want to discuss about the new, more contemporary art ho thing. I This is not something that I participated in, but my younger sister participated in, uh, in terms of like content that they consumed in their youth. My sister was a really big fan of Bethany Moda and sort of DIY, visco-esque YouTube influencers that I think did have some overlap with Art Ho, but was not exactly the same thing. Like I think the the Vans, the uh, Fjall Raven Konkin backpack and the penny board, you know, there, there was some overlap, right? And I feel like maybe this new contemporary version of the Art Ho that I see now, like if you search Art Ho on TikTok, uh, you will find plenty of people keeping it alive and well. I think it's, this new generation of them grew up on DIY kind of artsy YouTube videos and then turned their DIY impulses like breaking the back of their iPhone and filling it up with watercolors or painting each other's backs for <laughs> an Instagram photo. Or it's so early to do that. I don't know. Do you? F- yeah, that's just, I wanted to propose that. But yeah, I feel like it's up for debate. But 
this is something I feel like I saw this path in action with my younger sister. Like that was her pipeline into the art ho kind of art history girl, soft girl, art history socks person. You know what I mean? And we talked about this yesterday because I saw her and I was like, what's the pipeline? And she kind of explained that. But yeah, I feel like this is this newer generation of art hoism was somewhat rooted in that generation of YouTube, weirdly. Like, you know? Yeah. It just, what do you think? What do you, what do y'all think? Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> I think, I think I know what's going on here. I think I know what's going on. So the like painting on backs, tie dye, like crayon art side of things is kind of all about like coming up with these end products that are like not in any means original, but like you do this thing to like have this product that's kind of shitty and then like post a picture of it. But I think what the real art hoes were doing was there was just like a major fetishization of the process. And Biz mentioned mm. this with like the obsession with specific art materials, like Copic markers, mm-hmm. of which I had like 72 and I still have them because they're so fucking expensive. God, and that's I just, like, like a thousand dollars. Yeah, it was kind of, it was my greatest flex at the time. <laughs> having like moleskin <laughs> notebooks, just having all of these like cute little color coded, like having this very curated mess of artsy, like, materials I guess and you were always posting like sketches and collages and your hands stand with charcoal and clay all over your apron and paint in the sink and stuff like that so I think that's what the real art hoes were doing they weren't necessarily like it was I feel like seen as kind of gauche to post finished products it's like I look back on my Instagram at this time and it was just like of course this is all archived but it's like you know paper spread everywhere and like paint palettes and shit like more just the aesthetic of the art making process rather than any final thing and and that's why I think like the the crayon art side of things it wasn't like actually artsy because like anyone who had any inclination towards art would recognize that that's like not art because you're just like making something that you saw online I do think people did start there at a young age though so I think it depends on your timeline yeah. like if you're doing it but at, like, like really young that's like if 13? you're like eight or something but no like I, I I remember my sister doing this when she was like 11 or 12. Yeah. So like, I feel like that's kind of the age where it's like it's summer vacation and you want to do an art project with your friends because that's like what you were taught to do as a child is to craft whenever you're on summer vacation. That's like borderline Montessori activity. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And we were Montessori. My mom was a Montessori teacher. So yeah. Pressed flowers are a Montessori thing also. Yeah. I had a pressed flower table. I would press flowers into a lot of wood furniture and mod podge it on which is like so blasphemous that that was something i would do as a young person but um mod podge was like i but, feel like they should have sponsored rookie mag because they were always telling you to mod podge some shit on some other oh my shit god it's true yeah because they like didn't want to advise using hot glue because they didn't want to be responsible <laughs> for the the scalding the scalding yeah but yeah no like i do think that like uh the crayon painting painting on back cracking your iPhone and putting watercolors in the back of it. Like it appealed to people who were like literally like in the seventh grade or under from my memory of it. But that might be kind of like corrupted, right? We can just see it like this. The painting on the back is summer before high school. Mm -hmm. The art hoe is like your, it's, it's fall. Okay. It's like like life has moved on. You have gotten your, you made your mom buy you some, fancy colored pencils you know what I mean like it's like and that that's you you became true to it but you could definitely stop at the the back and not go further it's kind of like which way you know which way yeah 
it all comes back to the egg in some way in the chain, but not really. The egg and chain punk discourse <sighs> thing, which I was too young for. Like, I do feel very in between well, a lot I of things. Well, I guess this is all um, to say, what we are realizing is this aesthetic is incredibly influential and influenced by many things, which I think is one of my favorite things to talk about on this podcast, mm-hmm. which we also, I was thinking a lot about uh, Lost Generation 3 because we talk about how, like, the style of that episode, which is like floppy, fluffy hair and corduroys, is actually like the most accessible slash common look for young artsy kids, despite it not being particularly new or trendy. And it's like still going to be present when you walk into a public arts magnet school in 2024. And then like, this is there's a parallel here, obviously, as well. Despite it kind of like, you know, this should not be in the trend cycle anymore. It still is. I, I actually would say like, I feel like if I walked into a middle school, I'd see people wearing this. Yeah, young people, I don't think it's left their their radar, but I think it's it's no. very age appropriate. It's very cute. Like it's very mm-hmm. age appropriate. And this yeah. is the yes. weird thing that you kind of alluded to, Biz, is like in 2020, like if you look up like art host stuff, a lot of people are reflecting on like their aesthetic in 2020, which is so crazy to me because that is like I would have thought it's effectively over, but it... Yeah, that is why I really oh, sort of yeah. think about how this is a product of a couple things. I think it is because like Claude and <laughs> Fresh Orange County are like sorry, 25 years old. Claude.mp3. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's another thing was like having a Instagram handle that was like your name.jpg. I mean, or... there needs to be a whole dictionary for like the way that you pose in selfies, the way that you type captions, the way that you like name your accounts, mm-hmm. the way that you like create stuff. It's all in this like very specific lexicon. It's very yeah. like all lowercase, first of all. Yes, I agree. But I think it really was through the influence of these musical artists and then people that were slightly younger than them um, who were still in high school, basically connecting with their work. And then also specifically with someone like Brooks Orange County, that music becoming so big on TikTok and then it proliferating there. I think Clara's important too, no? Clara's very important to this. Contra Chloe. Shout out Contra Chloe. Contra Chloe literally ate this iconic entire vine people like enya too i think was like really an art icon vine really was such a yeah an influential part yeah this is probably like the one of the few (laughs) aesthetics that zillennials literally invented bedroom pop is very important to this clara was important to this amongst other artists but this is why i called it like soft there's this new girl that's like a the new Claro, like the new the generation of art hose Claro, and she's who is it doing a song with like Lil Yachty, and I always forget her name. Like Lil Yachty's mm. like producing her album, I forget what her name is. Is it Renee Rapp? <laughs> it's not Renee Rapp. <laughs> I wish it was Renee Rapp. No, I don't. But maybe listeners can. I just looked up Lil Yachty, and it says Lil Yachty reportedly welcomes baby girl, and I'm like, is that the <laughs> no? See, I have a crush on him too. Like, I think he's really hot. He's really cool. Tim and Paula, Mac, yeah. DeMarco, Lil Yachty, and Clara were all hanging out a month ago. What that literally summoned this episode? I know. Mac DeMarco like, was also yeah, literally. <laughs> Mac DeMarco is like the true grandfather of every art ho. Actually, that's true. Like all roads lead back to Mac DeMarco when there's a pair of mom jeans involved. But he has like my his my blood on his hands with the way real. that I still smoke cigarettes. Like actually I my know. blood is on his hands. You I, know what I mean? 
Your lung tar is on his hand. My lung tar oh, is God. crazy. It is. Okay, well, moving things along here, in terms of finishing our timeline. Yeah. So I'm not really sure exactly, like I said, when Art Art Ho Collective folded, but their Instagram, which acted as their central creative hub and platform no longer exists. Um, but I do I did find an article on Hype Bay where they had a micro-grant program in 2021. So they were definitely still around then. But I think we can look at, you know, 2020 pandemic, first year of TikTok, as this weird burst of energy in the art hoe landscape. And then from 2021 on, the art hoes really lose their momentum. Many of them diversify into e-girls and other things. and. I also just want to mention that Art Hose not only was the claim to the term contentious, but people just hated them, actually. I found this mm-hmm. Reddit post from five years ago, so this would have coincided with the, in our eyes, unexpectedly late actual peak of Art Hoism um, on r slash unpopular opinion which is titled artsy slash art hoes are unoriginal and devalue art. And it says, I constantly see the art hoe style so often that it can be considered a fashion sub style. It's the muted tones, always some sort of autumnal orange or yellow berets, denim mom jeans, chunky belts, long socks, sometimes patterned, clear frames, enamel pins everywhere. This is such a good description. (laughs) Chunky shoes and always, always the boxy, tiny, full Robin Conkin backpack Moby thrown a scrunchie. Anyways, I won't read the rest, but basically their (laughs) argument is that it's formulaic, uninspired, and that doing art or getting into art shouldn't be a trendy thing as a result of this. And that, oh yes, I actually, this is, I guess, what Alexi's been saying the whole time, which is that this this Reddit poster says that one of their closest friends got into art through the art ho vibe. And then the Reddit poster says, but the art she creates and many others, as I've seen online, is uninspired and just meant to be aesthetically pleasing. Mic drop. I personally think this person wanted to fuck art hoes and it wasn't working. <laughs> yeah. We do need to talk about the sexual oh my god. Of art yeah. hose, maybe. I don't know. I think it also kind of crosses into the like type of guy that is like big titty mommy goth gf whatever yeah how did that mm-hmm. happen like how yeah. what? i don't know but Maybe also it's because, well, because i think just the I fetishization of like girls with tattoos or girls that are alternative is like a weird thing as like a porn category yeah, but it's like, i don't leave know that small bean alone i know um Let her i be think WLW. it's also they were such prolific posters that they simply gave people like more material to yeah. fetishize in some ways. Yeah, they gave more opportunities for guys to slide, but they weren't actually doing that on purpose. And Ugh. this is where, yeah, it always made me really uncomfortable because it does, this is such a much like twee, like youthful, yeah. like aesthetic. And like, um, and I don't think it's, I don't know. I think the non-threatening dimension of it appeals to a certain type of guy, you know, the whimsical aspect of it too i think it's very post 100 days of summer type fetishization yeah it's just a manic pixie dream girl of it all yeah yeah Yeah. but combined with like androgyny you know what i mean i mean the original art ho was the fucking girl from um eternal sunshine oh yeah fucking kate winslet yeah yeah Uh, also i think that 
Arto, since you mentioned like the youthful vibe of it, it's interesting to me to contrast this with like the rise of nymphette slash coquette stuff because it's probably happening at the same time and mm-hmm. both feel like a reinterpretation reinter- of like childhood and the aesthetics of youth because art hoes were like into dressing essentially like toddlers and like the color scheme as we mentioned is very youthful and like primary and combined with the messiness of it all like it was very about being kind of like intentionally unstyled like having kind of messy hair and like worn in clothes and there was a big emphasis on like thrifting and secondhand shopping and also like the nymphette coquette thing is also yeah I think it's just like more specifically gendered like you can't really get away from the girlishness of it all Biz, we need to talk about the fact that we literally went to an art host even bar in London uh, wait really do we yeah which it's one? uh which one the shapes one. Oh my god we did <gasps> It was crazy. Gasp. Yes, we did. But maybe so we, we shouldn't location dox it. Bar on... Why? I, I would know. love to see some fans there. Yeah, same, actually. Um, we can doodle together. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you live in London and you can't find this bar based off the way we've described it, it literally has about shapes. Like, it's about shapes. But yeah, the whole thing is they have a chalkboard in it and they wrote Bauhaus Mindset on it. And they have pencil sharpeners attached to every desk and everything has primary colors. There's like and... a fake James Terrell. Yeah. Yeah. So and all the drinks have ice cubes. That honestly, are like... I was with us some some friends who are lived in London for a long time with us that night, Alexi, and they fucked with it because you don't get a lot of experiential stuff like that here in London. I mean, I was obsessed with it. It was just an aesthetic that I hadn't seen in so long. And like the people who worked there were wearing like primary color jumpsuits. Yeah. I think we're ready for like a classical art ho revival because it's like split in so many ways. I think it would honestly be refreshing to meet someone who was like really like Matisse cutout build. Uh, Caroline Calloway. No, there's still people like that. It's just evolved into like the, these are the people who are working at local art museums. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I guess, okay. you, need a, yeah. you need to staff like the um, South Texas Museum of Art, you know what I, I mean? In Corpus Christi, Texas. Like, like there's the aesthetic interests of the art ho in terms of what type of art they like. I do like meeting people like that who are into that sort of art. Yeah. I think it's like, well, good. That I also think that stuff. in relation to like the Reddit post that you've just shared, Biz, I do remember thinking at this time that like if you were on this like art side of Tumblr and you were a young adult, you like wanted to make your life about art. And it seemed like the only way to do that at the time was like by being an artist. But I think fortunately there are a lot of like art related things you can do do in real life that aren't necessarily that do you know what I mean so I think that's part of the reason why it's like phased out but yeah you're right they are working at local museums and they are working at libraries and Mm -hmm. they're being art teachers I mean they're literally teaching the next generation of children like every person I know who studied art is now teaching art to children yeah yeah because the color palette of art ho is literally like the classroom of like a first grade art teacher you know like that is the color Mm -hmm. palette of it and the same artists that they kind of adore the ones that you learn in your first grade art class you know I had this art ho teacher in um sixth grade and she was like so beautiful and she taught me about radiohead so oh wow um I need to go in like 13 like I need to leave my house in like 13 minutes okay well so we can start we can can wrap up up. I have so much to say 
Oh, I guess you? just one sentence wise, I will say that mom jeans, I feel like are the number one important, like most widespread impact because mm-hmm. they like actually changed the the timeline of the evolution of jeans silhouette for that decade. It's like, I remember wearing them when they were still not popular and people would like make fun of me because they were probably really ill-fitting because I couldn't buy them new. Mm-hmm. But now it's like kind of all you see when you go into stores like you, I don't know, everyone's trying to push them on you. Yeah, we've come so far. We have. Mm-hmm. I guess they call they call them boyfriend jeans sometimes, but I'm like, nah. I was feeling yeah, asexual. They're the, such like a dedicated, it was obviously extremely youthful. Then there was also a dedication to like a certain frumpiness. Mm-hmm. Or, yeah, I mean, that's the Mac DeMarco aspect for sure. Like, dad. Well, that's why I feel like um, the the hoe part of it, it made me uncomfortable because of the youthfulness, but it also there is something implied underlying this aesthetic that like down and dirty, you know what I mean? Like you're dressed like you are going to go like roll around in the mud or like mm-hmm. climb a mountain or paint in a studio or go to class. You know what I mean? It's like very much like a something that's rough and tumble down and dirty, like mm, getting in a, like scraping your knee at the playground type aesthetic. You I know mean, what I mean? It wasn't very polished. Like I remember my mom telling me she was like always being like, you know, this look doesn't look good on you because I was just always wearing like really frumpy clothes and like didn't wear makeup and my hair was always really frizzy. But that was like literally the vibe of the time. Yeah, mm-hmm. she didn't get it. But yeah, it was it was the best of times. It was the worst of times. And I don't know, I learned a lot about art from this time. I was also in, like enrolled in my in the peak of my art ho era in this like MoMA online class where I met a lot of people that I still follow today and keep up with. It was like the Art Hope Symposium for MoMA teens. Mm-hmm. And that's how I met Vika, actually. Yeah, I remember yeah. you saying that. Yeah. Um, Shout out to Vika. We love her. So young people get involved in like MoMA's online programming. Yeah. Yeah. Change your life. I know tons of people who have met each other from like going to them being like the MoMA teenage intern. Yeah. From, that is in New York thing. City as well. Yeah. I think it's definitely like oh, this aesthetic the places it can lead you like you will remember your art history facts a little better than others it's also just it's good for it's good for life like it kind of has like a high achieving vibe to it and like a teacher's pet vibe to it yes i mean it's it's definitely much better like it's like the e-girl kind of mutated out of it in a way yeah and it's obviously so much darker and much more rebellious and more sinister in a lot of ways and much more sexualized yeah especially because you wear more makeup and I, I think it's just it, it has to be a little bit of a black pill because like there is something about the art yeah. no vibe that if you're really like into it you were just speaking for myself but it's very asexual like I think I was like not aware of the male gaze for a long time because I was so invested no, it in it this is yeah. why I had trouble with the term when we first brought it I think up you I have think to remember at like... the time like people were using AV because it was like still kind of like you know it was like a way of saying stuff online. Like they weren't actually being like, oh my God, I'm hoeing. It was like, I don't know. It's mm. it's hard to explain. Yeah, there was, there was a time and a place for it. It's like, you remember that um, King Princess post where she's like, I've got a thick bus in record for you guys. Like she was doing uh, that too late, but we were all doing that in like 2014. Oh, stop. That actually just sent shivers down my spine. I know. But yeah, King Princess definitely is, I don't know. King Princess um, is my albino child that I found in a malanga leaf. <laughs> you wrapped it in a na- malanga leaf and left in a cave because you it was demonic. <laughs> That's exactly what happened. Okay. Shall we wrap uh, up? Um, yeah. Yes. 
Oh, people are begging Azalea Banks to come on our podcast on Twitter. What? Did y'all see that? It was, like, it was like only one like person. two people. <laughs> yeah. But um, I'm just saying. Um, Get ready, cool. guys. That'd be cool. Just, she'd have a lot to say oh, about the art too. Okay. Um, yeah. We need to go. Would you rather be a MoMA intern in 2015 or be a Rex Orange County feature on his song Lovin' is Easy on the B-side? MoMA intern. Intern, yeah. Uh, Rex Orange County. He's British. I don't like that. Yeah. About him. What gives British people the right to be art hoes? I guess the tape the tape modern is very like it's the art ho institution of all true. time. Um he 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 was cleared of his sexual assault allegations, just mm. saying. Yeah. So um that's not why I said no. But um I would rather be a moment intern because I would just know I'd reflect on it for the rest of my life. Yeah, same. Yeah. Seems okay. beneficial, seems Mm, good for your long-term success as a career person um yeah Mel, my intern uh oh i know would you rather have a portrait done of yourself this is a very straightforward question in the style of flower boy or the style of sam mckinnis's uh lord melodrama cover two greats in 2017 I don't know what the Lord melodrama cover looks like. You do. You'll see it and you'll say, I know. Oh, oh yeah. Probably rather the melodrama cover because I just like this color combination. And mm-hmm. Flower Boy, I don't know. Like, obviously, I'm more open. I don't know. I just like the color combination of blue and orange. It's like one of my favorites. Um, but yeah. No other reason other than that. The Flower um, Boy one has a certain Renee Magritte vibe to it, like with the clouds and bees and such. It's a little yeah. surreal. So I would do that, but I, yeah, maybe change the colors a little bit and have it be even more art ho by making the background a uh, pink to blue gradient. Oh, damn. Gradients were such a thing at the time, also. Mm. My mom is yeah. always editing photos of me with and putting it through like a Matisse or Van Gogh filter and sending it to me, and it makes me look like a monster. <laughs> that's that's but weird. I feel like that's mm, art adjacent somehow. I love um uh, mm, art filters on like mm, photo booth on your laptop. I think those yeah. Are cool. Okay, I I actually do need to go. I'm I'm sorry. I don't want to be late for the movie. No, it's okay. Go ahead. I bet they don't have trailers in the UK. I so. think that was like. Great episode, though. Yeah, that was good. Yeah, thanks everyone for listening. Let us know what your recollections of this time were in our Discord. I think many of you probably were touched personally by this aesthetic or participated. Any other questions for the audience, guys? No, I mean, no. yeah. Let let us know. Um, I feel like that this is content. As we talked about a contentious term, you probably have your own contentions associated with this time. So we would love for you to air those out on our discord discord and we can have a tribunal and make value judgments as <laughs> you guys know i like to do in the discord yeah. um i have a lot left to say so we can talk about it on discord mm-hmm. Ooh, yay subscribe to our patreon okay well bye everyone bye, bye.